Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast. I'm Susie Barry and I'm here as ever with my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. And we are going to dive right in today, aren't we? Is that an instruction or a threat? It might be, both. (laughs) Okay, I'm on board. Uh, You know, I think everyone listening is too, as ever. Always good to move me along. Uh, But that is, you know, I'm always happy to dive in equally. It's an invitation I'll never refuse. Mm. Uh, so, so today we're talking about glass bottles, aren't we? We are indeed. So, so this is a, this is a slightly different kind of program for us because we were approached by the team at British Glass who felt that glass bottles had been unfairly maligned in the wine world of late, mm. and they uh, they proposed that we did an episode on the subject of glass bottles. Yeah. So, so we looked first and foremost into the research and the evidence, and we found this really fascinating and and quite a thought-provoking topic, didn't we? Mm. Um, So we were really happy to partner up with them. I mean, you know, I think all us wine blasters are interested in making the world a better place, uh, particularly when it comes to the environment, to pollution, to climate change. uh, And we're also passionate about our wine. um, And how wine gets to you, gets to all of us, is a really important part of that. Yeah. So, So various studies around the world have identified packaging and shipping as having the biggest impact on wine's carbon footprint. Uh, Dr Richard Smart, a famous viticultural scientist and now international consultant, he predicted recently that glass bottles will soon become dinosaurs. And and lots of commentators at the moment are very keen to to champion alternative formats like cans or, or pouches or bag and box, basically intimating that glass bottles with corks are simply representative of how resolutely traditional and lacking in innovation mm. the wine world is, essentially saying glass bottles have been around for hundreds of years. Why haven't we moved on from them? <laughs> yeah, now, obviously, environmental concerns are critical in all of this. Um, but what we thought was, it's not just as clear cut as alternative formats good, glass bad. I mean, it you know, rarely is. It rarely is clear as exactly. that. Is it? So we wanted to dive a bit deeper into this. You know, uh, it might sound quite trendy and right on to say that, to say, oh, glass is, is, is too traditional. Um, but actually, it's more complicated. There are choices to be made, quite complex choices, on the basis of lots of different evidence and implications. Um, and that's really what we wanted to get into, what we wanted to look into and explore and, and kind of present for debate and discussion, wasn't it? The, yeah. the, the bigger picture. Yeah, like. yeah. So, so if you remember, just in our last episode, when when we were talking to Chateau Montalino winemaker Matt Crafton. Oh, the lovely Matt. He was lovely, wasn't he? Was he? And, and we asked him about lightweighting bottles, which, um, which actually means making glass bottles mm. lighter, so they have less of an environmental impact when they're shipped all around the world. And this is actually something that Montalina have apparently been doing for 15 years. Mm. And, and Matt ended by saying, because what really matters is what's in the bottle mm. and the fact that it gets to you right. Where was the American accent? And no, the fact it? that it gets to you right. Says so a bit, bit, bit. Corny. It may be sounding a bit. <laughs> Matt sounding a bit a wild. Matt. Sorry about that, Matt. Uh, I quite it's like a bit it, Dolly Parton. I'm not sure it's Matt. Uh, <laughs> Dolly Parton. Um, to put it another way, though, you know, how and why does it matter what container your wine comes in? Uh, what is glass? What are the implications of glass bottles? You know, kind of all the way through the piece, both before, during, and after use. We don't often think about all of those things. So, you know, we talked to two very, very interesting people, one of whom uh, is Simon Lawson. He's the general manager Europe for Casella Family Brands, uh, makers of one of the world's 
biggest selling wine brands of all, Yellowtail. Uh, but before that, you had a, a another sort of fascinating chat, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I spoke to, uh, to Dr Nick Kirk, and he's the technical director at British Glass, which is the representative body for the glass manufacturing sector in the UK. And it was really interesting. It was a really interesting mm. chat, particularly at the end when we when we got talking about the future of glass. Mm. Uh, but, but I began by asking him to start at the beginning to explain what glass is, how it's made, and why it's so widely used? Well, that's a good question, Susie. And um, if we go back a little bit in history, the Egyptians were really the first civilization to really use glass for everyday use. And then the Romans really took that on and made it more popular. And as we can see in lots of artifacts, there's lots of glass still remaining that contain wine and other food stuff. And it, it demonstrates it's an ideal product for containing um, food and, and drink. So if we actually look at what glass is, it's quite simple, really. It's really sand, limestone and soda ash, three abundant materials that are mixed together and melted at about 1500 degrees and then cooled down very slightly and then blown into shapes. And the blowing process is really very simple in that you take a bit of glass and you inject air into it and blow it into a, a form and you can make some fantastic shapes. But it's very simple. Originally, it's done all by hand, but nowadays it's all, all automated. So that's simply what glass is. It's a simple manufacturing process. And so what is it mainly used for these days? Is it mainly bottles? Well, it's really, it has probably three main sectors it's really used for. Um, the food and drink sector for bottles and jars, which we see every day around us. And also, what gets for forgotten about is the glass around us. So all the windows we use in car windscreens, it's all glass and things like fiberglass for insulating the building. So really, it's all around us. It's everywhere. We, we use it every day. And I think sometimes we just look straight through it and don't actually see it. Now, I know that glass making is a fairly energy intensive process, but, but just explain to us um, how much energy and what type of energy is used. Yeah, so when... I mentioned that glass is melted at about 1500 degrees. So as you can imagine, that requires a lot of energy. The energy that's used nowadays in the UK tends to be natural gas, which is obviously fossil fuel. And it consumes quite a lot of energy to melt that those raw materials down. But one advantage is if we actually use recycled glass, that takes 25% less energy. So by us recycling more, returning it back to the furnace where it makes more bottles and jars, we're actually having a positive impact on the environment by reducing energy consumption that then relates to CO2 reduction. But, but, but in general, what, what, what would you say, the, if any, attempts are being made to reduce, sort of putting the recycling to one side for the, for the moment, what, what attempts are being made to reduce energy usage and then obviously the subsequent emissions? Yes, well... Because energy is such a large cost to glass manufacturing, the glass manufacturers are always looking at opportunities to reduce the energy use, which obviously impacts on the CO2. And over, over the past sort of 30, 40 years, energy consumption has dropped by about 50%. So it's really dropped a lot. And as an industry, we're really engaged in head, heading towards what we call net zero. So to actually eliminate all the CO2 from the glass manufacturing process. And I'm really confident we will achieve it. It is a challenge, but we will achieve it. When you say it's reduced by 50%, I mean, how has that been achieved? That's just been achieved by energy efficiency measures. So looking at the way the furnace has been designed, how it's insulated better, um, the productivity of the process improved. So you get less and less losses along the way. So all those added up over the years has contributed to that large reduction. 
I think I think I read somewhere about a, a new furnace coming into um, production potentially that would would not require nearly as much energy. There's there something being produced at the moment that would would be all, you know almost allow you to be um, net zero. Yeah, yes, there's a couple of schemes going on, and um, there's a, a program within the UK called Glass Futures, which is looking at opportunities for the future for the glass industry. And what we what we're really looking at there is to move away from fossil fuels and move towards more renewable energy, such as bio-derived fuels, um, hydrogen, or electricity from renewables. And it can melt glass using electricity very well. And as soon as we get renewable electricity in the UK, we'll eliminate the CO2 emissions overnight. And is, is the problem at the moment the fact that the electricity is so, um, it would need so much electricity that um, that makes it not viable? It's not so much that, it's more the actual cost of electricity. Electricity costs are probably two or three times more expensive than natural gas. Therefore, it's cost driven at the moment. But I see in the future as electricity prices come down and gas prices probably stabilise, there will become a point when it becomes equally advantageous to go to electricity and start using electricity for melting. And could you use solely electricity for melting? Would that work? You could achieve that, yes. Um, I think it might be a mix of fuels looking at hydrogen, which the government's investing very heavily at the moment in hydrogen. There's a couple of networks around the country where they actually be looking at putting hydrogen into the national grid system. So once that's available, the mix of hydrogen, electricity, and maybe biofuels, we will be able to achieve that net zero aim. And in your opinion, how long would, will that take? Well, the target set at 2050. And as we see nearly every day, um, on the news, the government's always pushing and pushing harder. I believe we will achieve that before that date. Some glass manufacturers are probably running at a higher pace than others, but I think it will be achieved. So let's move on to um, to where it sits with wine. Now, glass is it's heavy um, compared with a lot of other packaging. Um, it's breakable. Given a bottle's shape, it entails a lot of um, lost space in, in transit. Packaging and shipping, and particularly the glass bottle, are often singled out as the biggest contributor to wine's carbon footprint. I think it's been estimated that, that a, a glass bottle accounts for around 40% of a standard 75 centilitre wine bottle's carbon emissions throughout its life. I mean, how can glass really be part of a sustainable future for wine? Well, first of all, we need to look at um, a wine bottle. It's a it's an ideal um, product for um, storing wine in. It, re- it doesn't react with the, the wine at all. It's inert. It doesn't allow CO2 or uh, oxygen to diffuse through it. So it's a permanent barrier. So it's a perfect material for containing wine. But you're quite right in saying that um, we are moving around the world, lots of wine bottles. And I believe in the UK, we import over a billion wine bottles into the UK each year. But what's happened since about 2005, the industry have been looking and also engaging in bulk importation of wine into the UK. This is where you bring 22,000 litres of wine in a, in a bag within a shipping container and you fill it in the UK in bottles produced in the UK. And that really saves around about 40% of the actual transport emissions or CO2 emissions. So again, a really good step forward. And currently on the UK market, it's nearly 40% of wine sold in the UK is actually bottled and filled 
in the UK. So that's happening and probably the consumer is not really aware of that real benefit. No, I, I think absolutely. I've, I've definitely keep seeing more and more about the fact that the, the bulk wine shipping is growing all the time. And I think, um, yes, that has surely got to be a really good way forward. Um, and I know some commentators criticised the wine world, uh, sorry, for being sort of um, stuck in the mud, um, overly traditional in its reliance on glass bottles and lacking, I think they say, you know, one would say lacking imagination and innovation in sticking with glass rather than looking to several new solutions. How would you respond to that? Well, I wouldn't say we're stuck in the mud because I'm coming back to my earlier comment, really. Glass is the ideal um, material for containing wine and many other um, food and drinks products because it's a permanent barrier. Um, it doesn't react with the wine at all, so it doesn't actually affect the quality or taste. So that's really acknowledged. And also the shelf life of wine in, in glass bottles is far, far longer than any other packaging format. So from that point of view, it's giving shelf life extensions way above what plastics and other materials can offer. But when it comes to innovation, the glass industry and the designers of glass bottles are innovating some fantastic bottles. Um, it may be not so much in the wine sector, but if you look at the spirit sector, especially the gin sector now, there's some fantastic bottles. And some of the decoration and enhancements on the surface are really incredible and really do enhance that product, really deliver the brand distinction that's, that brand owners really like. So yeah. I'd say we're not stuck in the mud. We're actually pushing the barriers and really putting some exciting products in the market. And, and, and on a not so exciting level, what about lightweighting? Um, that's how successful has that been, you know, making a bottle much lighter? I mean, so many wine producing uh, regions seem to use these sort of heavy, heavy bottles. And surely that's not necessary. It isn't necessary. You're quite right there. And um, I, I, well, I don't, I don't know why that's evolved, but I think it's some relationship between what's believed to be quality over weight. And I think that's evolved over many years that um, consumers believe the weight relates to quality. And, and you can probably add a lot more comment to this, but I don't believe that at all. That's not the, the, the issue. I think when it comes to lightweighting over the past 15 years in the UK, we've actually reduced the glass weight of wine bottles significantly. The average weight about 2005 was probably around about 500 grams. Typically now in the UK, it's less than 400, if not 350, and somewhere down to about 330. So that weight has been reduced. And I think it's really important. We hear the word lightweighting, but my take on it is we're not trying to lightweight. We're trying to find the right packaging for the product. And when it comes to wine, we are trying to find the right weight. So for a champagne bottle, it has to be heavy. It's got to resist a lot higher internal pressure, a lot more sort of abuse the way it's used. And it's stored for a lot longer. The actual what the champagne making process requires a cork and things to be removed from time to time. So it needs a different type of bottle. So it has to have some weight to gain strength. And that internal pressure is quite high. It can be six, seven, eight bar internal pressure. So a very high pressure. But we come to still wines. And lightweighting down below 400 grams is very easy to do nowadays with modern um, technology. That's more of that's more of a consumer perception. We've got to change. I mean, a bit in the way that we might have changed consumers' minds, hopefully, or the industry has over time about screw caps. Then I think you know it. It sounds to me like you're saying that people just need to not equate weight with quality. 
And that's a, a good summary, really. And, and that's my perception of what's happening. The consumer associates weight with quality. So when we talk about um, glass being the ideal receptacle for, for wine, I mean, partly, obviously, wine is acidic. It's got the alcohol in, which is a solvent. So that will react with certain um, things over time. It won't react with glass. So why, so glass is definitely good in the uh, for longer aging wines. But, you know, what about the alternative formats when we look at sort of bag in box pouches, recycled pet uh, paper bottles and they obviously work fine for shorter term or less long-lived wines but but there is an element of plastic involved where do you sit on that that debate the the use of plastic in general in those alternative formats well I, i suppose i'll turn the question around a little bit the way i sit is if we look at recyclability to me is very important and when it comes to recyclability of glass, it's very easy to recycle. You dispose of your wine bottle when you've consumed it. You can leave the cap on, put it outside your door. And all glass, no matter what part Sorry, can I just I can pick you up on that? So you can leave your screw cap on? Yes, on certainly. The- yeah, yeah, there's no problem with that. This recycling process will extract that. It's a valuable material because they tend to be aluminium. So it's a good way of recovering the caps. And what about things that are left in the bottle, you know, bits of wine and or labels stuck on or or food in if it's I mean, it's not a wine, in wine, but, you know, just in a jar. Uh, the advice is just from a, a simple hygiene point of view is to wash it out. But if it's inconvenient to wash it out, there's no problem leaving the residue of food or drink in there because the, the process of making glass melting at 1500 degrees will destroy all that. So you can just literally... Screw your screw back on and then and shove it in the in the recycling. Yeah, yeah. And if I buy a wine from Australia or South America, it'll be exactly the same composition. So it can be recycled in the UK or it can be recycled any other part of the world. If you take a lot of um, other packaging formats that so you mentioned, bag in the box, it's multi-material. It has to be taken apart. So the cardboard can be recycled. The inner bag needs to be separated. The actual stopper, the tap needs to be separated. So it's complex for the consumer to recycle. As I say, with glass bottle, you put it out into your recycling bin and that's it. But, you know, to be fair to the alternatives, I mean, would you say that there is no place for them? I think there's a place for other packaging formats because there are different locations and occasions we consume wine. So um, I fully understand if you're consuming wine outdoors on a picnic, it might not be appropriate to take a glass bottle out. If you take a bag in the box, you can consume the wine, you can fold the box down afterwards. So I can really see in those locations, those occasions, there is a, a part for different packaging formats. But I think glass still plays a major role in packaging for wine because of its benefits of preserving it for such a long period of time. And just going back to the the recycling, um, I know that that, that there's a lot of talk about closed loop recycling for for glass. Could you just explain that? Yeah, the term closed loop is effectively, you'll buy your bottle of wine from your retailer, your supermarket, you'll consume the contents, you'll place it in a recycling bin, your local authority will take it away with all your other packaging waste or sort it, separate out the glass The glass will then go back to the glass manufacturer. He'll melt it, make another bottle. It'll go to be filled and it'll go back to the retailer. So it goes round in a closed loop, sometimes called a circular economy, where it just goes round and round. So it's not open-ended. It's not going for disposal. Now, if glass does go for disposal, um, it's not a good thing, but it doesn't cause much impact on the environment. So a really good example of this is if you ever go to the beach and you see um, little glass pebbles on a beach, that's sometimes broken glass that's been there over years, made into little pebbles, but it's causing no harm to the environment. 
But we do see that other packaging materials, we, we've spoken about plastics, there's some real bad press about plastics at the moment, what harm they're causing to the marine environment. But glass doesn't contribute to that at all. And just on the note of the recycling and, and the stuff that doesn't go back into the recycling loop to make more bottles, um, and I think it is about... 70, 68, 70% of glass is recycled. Why can we not be at 100? Are you are you hoping for 100? Would you like to see 100%? Presumably you would. Very, very much so. And um, technically, 100% can be achieved. Putting 100% glass back into making glass bottles can be achieved. Um, as a glass industry, we are really supporting the drive towards collecting more and more glass for recycling. And we've set an objective of achieving 90% by 2030. Again, I believe that can probably be sooner, but I think it's realistic that we will be able to achieve 90% collection for recycling by 2030. You heard it here first. But I mean, presumably, again, we're back to the energy thing. It does take a reasonable amount of energy to, to recycle glass. Are you again trying to reduce that? Yeah, and that's part of... Our, our net zero strategy to decarbonise the manufacturing process. As I say, we have a plan for 2050, but I'm sure we'll achieve it before then. And year on year, carbon and energy is being re- reduced on every piece of glass that's manufactured. And just going on to the colour of glass. So uh, we obviously have mostly brown, green, uh, clear. Is there an issue with um, when you put your green bottle in for recycling? Presumably that can't become a, a clear bottle. What's the what's the deal with that? Yeah, that's quite correct. Um, the, th- the three main colours, you're quite right to say, are your green, your brown and your clear. And in most collection areas now in local authorities, they're collected as one, one colour, all mixed together, which is absolutely no problem whatsoever because there's a, been a big investment in the technology to actually sort those back into three primary colours. So they're sorted out into three primary colours and then each colour then is destined to go back into making that colour glass again. But we obviously use more, um, we, 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 use, we, we buy more green glass, but we actually produce in the UK more clear glass, don't we? So, and I think clear is the issue, isn't it? That trying to make clear glass, you know, is the more difficult one. What, what would make a difference to that? That's quite correct, because we, as, as we're talking about wine today, we actually import, obviously, a lot of wine into the UK, which tends to be in green glass. But we also manufacture a lot of clear glass in the UK, but we export that for the spirit sector. So over 90% of clear glass for spirit sectors goes for export. So we have that imbalance where we have a lot of green glass in the waste, but the glass manufacturers are manufacturing a lot of clear glass. So the drive really is to try and get more and more clear glass collected. And a lot of clear glass tends to be food, food containers, so you sort of jam jar type of glass. So part of what British Glass are doing is trying to drive more of that to be collected. Now, when you look at green glass, the actual recycle content at the moment is probably around about 80%. It will go up to 90 95% quite easily. Clear glass does vary. It can be between about 40 and 50%. So there's still a little way to go on the clear glass. There's a little bit of a technical limitation is that when you start to recycle more and more clear glass, you tend to lose the the whiteness of the glass. It tends to become slightly green. So there's a little bit of a limitation there. And I think this is the always a challenge is what what the consumer's perception is against the brand owner's perception. And I think sometimes a consumer has a different perception to what the brand owner really has when it comes to things like design and colour. And what about reuse? Um, you know, rather than recycling, um, you know, for example, people r- taking their bottles back to a supermarket or a retailer and filling from a keg, maybe. Could that work? 
I, I can't see why it can't work. And um, a really good example we have at the moment is the milk bottle. And w- one thing that's been noticed over the past year or so, and it, it may be related to COVID and people being at home, is that we've seen an increase in people buying milk in milk bottles to be delivered at the home. And that's a fantastic example of, of reusable glass because it works in a local economy. So it's a local dairy. They supply the milk to you, consume it, you put your milk bottle back out, they take it back, clean it, fill it, and it comes back. So it works in a very local area, works very effective. And I know many supermarkets are now looking at other products, sort of pastas and other dry products and oils and things like that, that we take container back to be refilled. And again, I see that has a place and it will be successful. I think the biggest challenge is on more international brands. So we're talking about wine today. How would it work with a wine bottle that's come from abroad? How would that effectively could be refilled? There's a big, big challenges there, but on a local basis, it works very well. And in terms of um, brand owners and retailers, what could they do to help? If you were to say one thing to them that they could do to help you as British Glass to uh, get people reusing or recycling or whatever, what, what would be the thing that they, they could do to help in that quest? I think coming back to recycling, I think it's joining forces with British Glass to actually give those positive messages out to their consumers that by recycling their glass, it is actually used again, back in glass packaging. Some packaging doesn't actually go back into packaging again. It may go to another use, but with glass, it can go back into making a glass bottle and jar again. So I think it's getting that message across. And there are some perceptions that um, glass doesn't go back for glass recycling because it gets tied up with other packaging materials where there's been bad news again, where it's been exported and not actually been recycled. So we need to get that message that it's kept in the UK, it's recycled in the UK to make more bottles and jars. So I'm going to go back just just briefly to the, the when you talked about um, making bottles, you know, innovation, making bottles for spirits that are very innovative. So so why, given the, the problems of transportation and uh, space, why can't we say make a could we make a, a square um, or rectangular wine bottle uh, without a, a neck or or a punt in the bottom that would take the neck of the next bottle so you could stack them or you know pack them so much more efficiently and maybe also make them litre bottles rather than 75 centilitre so that any transportation you know forgetting the bulk transportation but actual transportation of bottles would be way more efficient and um and space saving yeah, very interesting thought. I haven't really considered that, to be quite honest, but um, you can make square bottles. As you've probably seen, a lot of bottles in the spirit sector tend to be square. Um, the trouble with making square bottles, they tend to be very difficult to make lightweight because you've got the way the forming process works, you've got to force glass into the corners. So they tend to be heavier per the volume they contain. So it would be really a balance if, if you could make a lightweight bottle, would that be better than making a square bottle that's slightly heavier? So I think you'd have to balance the, those considerations. So where do you think glass bottles will be in five years' time? What will have changed to make glass a, a more sustainable option? And what might a, a futuristic wine bottle look like? Well, I'll answer the first question first. I think over the next five years, we'll continue to reduce the weight of bottles. That will continue to happen. And also the associated CO2 with each of those bottles will continue to reduce. So the environmental impact will reduce and we'll see more glass being recycled. Um, Over the past couple of years, recycling has already started to increase in the UK and it's continued to increase. Also, with the support of government to put policy in place to actually force people to recycle, we'll have benefits as well. And so your futuristic wine bottle? 
there's quite a lot of developments going on at the moment um, looking at the actual bottle and the weakness with a bottle is its surface. And when it breaks, it breaks from the surface. So if you can protect the surface, change the chemistry in some way, you can actually make it stronger. And there's quite a bit of research going on looking at how do we make glass bottles stronger. Therefore, if you make them stronger, you can make them lighter. So I think the futuristic view will be they'll start to get lighter and lighter and lighter, but they'll be modified on the surface to allow that to happen. Dr. Nick Kirk, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Fascinating to hear about the latest developments there, you know, kind of looking into changing the chemistry of glass to make mm. it less breakable. I'm not sure I quite understood about the glass breaks from the surface, but it sounded interesting. Well, yeah. you know, but the idea of making glass a lot stronger by changing its breakability or the way it breaks to then make it lighter, mm. you know, um, they could just do that with square bottles, like you suggested. <laughs> Love that suggestion. Bingo, that would be one way of doing really it. Would. But I mean, interesting also, he said glass is all around us. We use it every day, mm, but, yeah. but sometimes we look straight through it and don't really see it. <laughs> bit of a pun there. Um, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but, but obviously what he's really saying is that we, that there's a risk that we, we just take glass a bit for granted. Mm, um, that's very but true. It, but yeah. I mean, it's been such an integral part of wine's history. Um, you could argue that fine wine would not exist today if it wasn't for, gla- for the glass bottle. Mm. I mean, it's allowed wine to be transported and served in good condition. It's allowed wine to age and develop. I mean, we always refer to a bottle of wine. It's just, it's so ingrained. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's the automatic reflex. It is. I mean, now that doesn't obviously automatically make it right that we stick with glass. But equally, if we do take all of glass's benefits for granted and and rush into abandoning it in favour of these new alternative forms of packaging... I think we may well ultimately regret that decision. Mm, mm. But it's, it's kind of a trade-off, isn't it? You know, glass is heavy. It's it breakable comparably, comparatively. Mm. Um, and it's quite energy intensive to make, you know, but it doesn't involve plastic being generated, um, and which can then get into the environment. Absolutely. And, and it, I think it's important to add that a, a lot of plastic bottles and formats do use recycled plastic like our pet, but not all. Um, but again, it's one thing being recyclable, quite another actually being recycled properly and and not just exported to another country or burnt. And I think as Dr. Nick uh, Kirk said, it's it's complex for consumers to recycle a lot of this stuff. Um, And also, I mean, encouraging plastic production isn't isn't great is it no no ideally not and it is just i suppose it's just confusing isn't it and we need simplicity in our lives but um you know i think the more that energy switches to renewable you know so glass's carbon footprint goes down um you know because the energy inputs into making and recycling are ever cleaner but that's part of a bigger much bigger picture isn't it yeah you know but either way supporting the drive to renewable energy generation on a macro level obviously really helps in this doesn't it and yeah and who knows you know if we can keep the trend of this year going uh, which i think saw carbon emissions dip by eight percent of course you know because of the pandemic but at least it sets a precedent it, it shows that things can be done mm. um you know and also the fact that significant kind of post-covid reinvestment is potentially planned for renewables you know then, then there is you know hope for this going the right direction isn't there, there is i mean and i mean ultimately I think it may well be a question of horses for courses. Um, Mm. Traditional method sparkling wine has to be in bottle because that's how it's made and and the pressure inside that bottle needs the bottle's strength. Mm. Um, Fine wine meant for ageing pretty much has to be in a bottle because alternative formats can't, well, can't as yet protect against oxidation or or packaging failure beyond a couple of years. Um, However, for for mass market wines and brands, a, a mix of 
bulk shipping with mm. destination bottling and alternative formats is probably very sensible. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, maybe it's a question that we say. Horses, of course, is the package kind of needs to fit the product, doesn't it? Um, all the while being conscious of the environmental impact on various different levels and the quality and consistency of the wine, mm-hmm. which is, you know, surely really, really important. And I think, I think in all of this, wine needs to be creative and imaginative. Um, but also, you know, you could also say less tolerant of super heavy bottles, those super heavy bottles which can weigh almost a kilo by you know by themselves. Which yeah. There's no need for that, is no, there? Really? No, no, and, no. And, and there could be a way of doing reuse as well. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like really, that. I, I like that idea. I mean, I love the idea of having kegs up. in your local shop and then you just go and refill your bottles. I mean, it would make me feel like I was on holiday, uh, but yeah, I, was, I genuinely love that well, idea. Well, they do that a lot in Europe, don't they? And yeah. I think maybe, you know, as our English wineries get more and more proficient, we could have, let's have wow. a tap at our local winery. Cellar door wine on tap. I think you'd have to drink the wine quite quickly, but again, I don't see a problem with that. Anyway. That's never a problem in this house. <laughs> we wanted to get a different take on all of this. So I spoke to Simon Lawson, who, as I mentioned, is General Manager Europe at Casella Family Brands. Now, he's been in the trade 40 years, so he knows the business inside out. Um, and Casella are owners, among a few other things, of Yellowtail, one of the world's biggest selling wine brands by volume, shifting nearly 37 million bottles in the UK and rated by Wine Intelligence as the world's most powerful consumer wine brand. Casella is an Australian. Australian company uh, that, that moves huge amounts of wine around the globe. So I started by asking him to talk us through the key decisions when it comes to packaging and transporting a large-scale global brand like Yellowtail. Yeah, I guess um, I mean it is. It's a really important factor for us. Right? We're present in over fifty markets, for example, um, and we've got a massive community sort of behind us. So you know what we do with regards to. Um, getting wine to market is really, really important. So we have to look at it in the context of being sustainable for the environment, being sustainable economically. Uh, and of course, you know, a really close eye on quality. You know, we've got to think about what our consumers expect um, wherever in the world they're drinking yellowtail. Mm. So, you know, what, what do you do? I mean, uh, are glass bottles the best way to package your wine? Our view is yes. I mean, it was interesting, actually. I remember talking to John Casella about this uh, some time ago, and he said to me, Simon, it's either glass or it's glass. And kind of when I probed him a little bit better, a little bit further on that, it was, it was really down to the fact that uh, he felt it was best for quality. It's, it's inert, in effect. It doesn't add or take away from the wine. Um, when we consider the sort of length of the supply chain, you know, we kind of want to keep wine away from oxygen for as long as possible. And actually, once you get wine into distribution, even a fast-moving brand like Yellowtail does still hang around a little bit on shelf for a period of time. So you kind of want it to be in the best uh, possible container. And, you know, from our point of view, glass uh, is the answer. I guess it has been for several hundred years, and I'm sure it will be into the future too. Moving forward, obviously, sustainability is a key thing. All major brands are addressing this issue quite rightly. Wine needs to get ahead of the curve, be more sustainable, minimise its impact on the environment. Now, glass bottles and and shipping of glass bottles is one of the biggest impacts. And obviously glass has been blamed. It's heavy, it's breakable. uh, It's not very efficient in terms of uh, um, space. What are you doing if you want to have your wine in glass bottles from a quality point of view? What are you doing to minimise that impact? Well, the first thing is one of the key, key bits that we can influence is the shipping from Australia to the UK, to Europe. So we ship in bulk, uh, and that basically reduces our carbon footprint by around about 40%. That's taken a huge chunk of of, um, carbon out of uh, our footprint. Now, we ship in bulk straight to uh, London Gateway, uh, just outside uh, on the Thames. 
and then move uh, the wine in bulk to um, Garstang in, in uh, Cheshire um, by train. Uh, and then working with NSERC, they have what they call their sort of 360 degree um, supply service. So on site at NSERC in Ellesmere Port, they create the bottles, they do the bottling for us, they store the bottles there for us, the finished goods. And then from there, we distribute straight to supermarket RDCs. And then we have our European distributors come and collect from there. So what we've effectively done there is to tighten up that supply chain as, 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 uh, as much as we possibly can. And then I think, you know, specifically with regards to glass, what we've effectively done there is over the course of the last four or five years or so, I think we've basically reduced the weight of glass from around four, 445 grams per bottle down to on average about 400. So continually looking at how we can kind of take that or reduce that carbon footprint is really, really important. And then working with uh, NSERC on, and you know, throughout the industry, actually looking to improve the recyclability of glass um, so that's an important point. I'd like to ask you about that, because obviously uh, recyclable is not the same as recycled. Um, and glass has pretty good recycling rates generally, especially when you compare it to other packaging materials. But how do you go about uh, improving recycling rates and making sure that glass goes back into the system and is recycled into more glass bottles? Well, I think the, the, you're right that the, the consumers generally get the idea of recycling glass much more um, than many other products. And, and that's really good. So everything we can do, so every 10%, for example, of colored, of, of broken glass that goes back into the furnace, basically reduces energy by a further 5% um, and the CO, CO2 footprint. So yes, everything we can do to encourage that recyclability. Um, mm. What do you think though about alternative packaging formats like uh, cans or bag in box or pouches? Well, I think I, I look at I look at Yellowtail as a, as a mainstream brand, and, and at the moment, 100% of what we sell is in glass. That's not to say that other formats uh, won't have some relevance. And there, you know, I I tend to look at these things by you know occasion. What is the occasion they're going to get used for? And if you think about cans, there is you know the, the ease of carrying, the the ease of the fact that they can be. Um, you know, taken on picnics and things like that. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, the, there is the question of, you know, what is the truth behind the carbon footprint of, of these other formats? Uh, what is the recyclability potential? And actually, you know, going back to John's earlier comment about, you know, why glass is so important, um, what actually is the impact on the flavour? You know, as you know, wine, wine's got sort of high level of, of acidity in it and and what impact does that have on the lining of either bag in box or cans and at the end of the day you know what my worry about things like bag in box for example is that you really don't want any oxygen ingress at an early stage um, from a from a wine quality point of view and and for me i think it's all about you know the consumer experience what does the consumer expect what is the quality that they want and you know the thing about yellowtail is that we make the wine easy to easy to drink and easy easy to enjoy and one of the key elements of that is when consumers find a wine they like you know having shopped around the wall of wine it's also got to be easy to find 
and yellowtail's distinctivity in glass format with the you know the bright colors the kangaroo which actually incidentally is a yellow-footed uh, rock wallaby not a kangaroo um, thank you for clearing that, that up that's, that's very important <laughs> that that's very important you've got to be very distinctive so that people can can come back and buy you again and again now turning to the future you know if i'm buying yellowtail in 2050 um what's going to have changed by then um it's interesting because if i look back over my 40 years and i look forward say another 30 there have been marginal changes in my 40 years i think i've seen pouches come go and come back again in a small scale bag in box i can remember dealing in 10 liter bag in box for the on trade back in the day i've seen that go to 3 liter to 2.25 you know we've seen 1.5 bagging box at the moment. I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that glass is going to be right at the heart of, of the wine industry in 30 years time. I have no, no question about that at all in my mind. But I think what will be different is the ecosystem that goes around it. So much higher levels of recycling, much more energy efficient production. Yes, we'll continue to see wine moved around the world in bulk. And the biggest thing I think we can do over time is to see gas dirty fuel guzzling container ships move to much more efficient fuel um i think i think container ships by all accounts are the sixth were they a country they'd be the sixth in um co2 emissions apparently um so it seems to me that if that was to change uh and why wouldn't it um with the, the way technology goes i think we could see a very different situation in the background simon lawson thank you very much indeed my pleasure my pleasure so just to clarify one point um simon wrote afterwards to say that um he'd done his sums that a flight for two people from the uk to malaga has the same co2 emissions as five thousand bottles being shipped from australia to the uk um, but by shipping in bulk they can raise that to seven thousand bottles for the same impact so for the same equivalent yeah, of exactly. the flight so, so shipping yeah. in bulk, you know it essentially saves about 40 percent of, of co2 emissions which is what he said yeah uh, in the interview and it's also quite interesting for me I, I found that that simon clearly believes that glass will still be right at the heart of the wine industry in mm. 30 years yeah, time well, but so. just in a different way to now and with mm. presumably hopefully with a different ecosystem around it yeah that, that was interesting i know we've talked about this haven't we? but again the bigger picture um when you talk about shelf life uh, the importance of wastage uh and not just the true recyclability but also the actual recycling rates um and then you talk about the energy infrastructure all around these industries you know like shipping and energy used for manufacturing or recycling you know, it's hard to see alternative packaging taking over in a major way and i guess it's good to be reminded of, of the the values and virtues of glass at the same time yeah I mean, I think we all agree that improvements can and must be made all the way along the wine mm, supply mm, chain. Mm. Uh, we need to combat climate change. You know, wine needs to reduce its negative impact on the environment at the same time as maximising its sustainability, mm, mm. Um, economic and, and social, as well as environmental. Mm, mm. I mean, things have to change. Mm. Uh, but it's a question of how to do that 
best, not just rushing in and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and it really does seem that that glass will have a big pl- part to play in that, um, mm-hmm. with the caveat that improvements can and must be made on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. You know, some food for thought there uh, as we approach our, our festive drinking, you know, on which note, <laughs> uh, our next episode will be a short but very special festive edition. And, and we don't just mean dodgy Christmas jumpers, although I might do that <laughs> And Christmas anyway. pants. Christmas pants. Um, <laughs> stop it. Uh, we'll have some delicious delicious wine tips won't we for the uh, holiday season and, and a bit of fun too we will indeed now please do get in touch if you'd like to talk to us about this episode or anything really mm. uh, all the details are on our website susieandpeter.com forward slash podcast uh, thanks to dr nick kirk mm. and to simon lawson thanks to british glass and most importantly thanks to you for listening until next time with a virtual clink of our glasses cheers <laughs>